Hi, I'm Greg Lefebvre, the host and creator of the Compulsive Storyteller podcast. Welcome to another segment of Pass the Mic, where once or twice a month, we invite a talented guest with a great story to join us on the podcast and tell their story. Then I follow up with a story of my own about the same subject. Today's guest is Blake File. Blake File is the creator of the award-winning podcast, All American Ruins, which was recently an official select at On Air Fest in LA. He hosts the File File on Radio Kingston, WKNY, 107.9 FM and 1490 AM in the Hudson Valley, New York, and serves as operations program manager at the TMI Project, where he also produces the TMI Project Story Hour, which recently won the highest honor at the International Women's Podcast Awards. Blake is an associate producer for season five of History Colorado's Lost Highways, holds an MA in Arts Entrepreneurship from Purchase College, and is an alumni of the Audio Podcast Fellowship at Stony Brook University. So welcome to Pass the Mic, Blake. Thanks, Greg. So good to be here. I'm going to spell your name for listeners so, they have, so they'll have name recognition when they see it. P-F-E-I-L, pronounced file. That's right. Good. So you're going to start out with a story about a run-in with a nasty caretaker in an abandoned Jewish summer camp, and then I'll tell my story about a caretaker as well. So I guess we're ready. You're on. Sounds great. For context, I need to give you a little bit of background on my childhood. I was born and raised in the mountains of Colorado, and right down the hill from my house was this abandoned dairy farm that had been part of a former tuberculosis sanatorium. And when I was a kid, my dad took us there, and I fell instantly in love with it. And I had figured out a way to break into the farmhouse. And when I did, I was immediately thrust into sort of another world. And there was this feeling that I had been there before, and I frequented those ruins until they were ultimately demolished uh, in the early 90s. So fast forward to 2020, when the global pandemic sort of officially begins, and I had a dream about that abandoned dairy farm down the hill from my house where I learned to harness my imagination, creating characters, finding healing in befriending those characters much like any kind of imaginary friend that people have when they're children. These characters were sort of a reflection of my own sense of isolation and loneliness when I was a kid. So when I woke up from this dream, we were in a pandemic, things were a little wonky, and I was looking for ways to pass the time. So I wondered if there were any abandoned spaces near me in the Hudson Valley. And as it turns out, there is a treasure trove of those kinds of spaces. And these are the kinds of spaces that look like they have been raptured where you find dishes in the sink, clothes in the closet, furniture all throughout the house or whatever the space may be. And I found myself exploring these spaces and realizing that I was doing the same thing when I was a kid. Only this time I was using evidence in the certain spaces to create these characters in my head. And once again, a lot of these characters I found were often lonely or hurt people. There's also something to mention that the spaces are sort of an underbelly of America, as it were. It's a lens into that underbelly. And the stories that are hidden behind the walls, they become metaphorical, critical questions that challenge what we've been told is true and not true about this great country of ours. As such, the act of exploring an abandoned space is an act of civil disobedience in a way, uh, because there's this rebellious undertone for a majority of explorers who are 
willing to bend the rules a little bit to get inside the sanctuaries of days gone by. So we're going to go to the end of summer 2022. This is early September in the Catskill Mountains. The air is muggy. It's thick. The weeds are overgrown just to the point before the die-off where they're really, really, really tall. And I'm with my friend Julie. We've parked her car in front of a Jewish sleepaway camp, which is abandoned. We begin to explore. We find our way into the weeds. And immediately, like any other abandoned space, it's like we step back in time. The cabins are filled with objects from another life, dishes, clothes. My friend and I didn't notice that there were no trespassing signs. So we had made our way to this large hall, which looked like at one point it had been an event or a banquet hall. And it was packed to the brim in a pretty organized fashion with mattresses laid up against the wall, headboards, dressers, lamps, you name it, it was there. And as I was working my way into the middle of the hall, I was in this very spiritually connected place. And suddenly it was interrupted by yelling that I could hear in the distance. And the yelling got louder and louder. And I'm kind of a baby. And I realized quickly that there was really nowhere to run, especially since we had parked the car right in front of the property, maybe very stupidly. So Julie and I had to wind up waving our white flag and coming out with our you know, tails between our legs. We reach the embankment where the car is parked, and there is a gentleman wearing overalls. He's very tall, pretty lanky, kind of goofy looking. And my first thought as he's yelling and swearing up a storm is, does this guy have a gun? He's dropping F-bombs every other word. I'm on my way to a friend's house, he says, and now I got to stop what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. There's always this interesting dynamic between me and most heterosexual men where there is this masculinity versus non-subtext. And oftentimes I find that when I engage in conversation with straight men who I've never met first introduction, they make it very clear from the beginning, even though I don't ask, that they are straight. And one of the sneakiest ways to do it is, you know, they'll they'll introduce a girlfriend into the conversation. So keeping this in mind, in the middle of this man's tirade, out of nowhere, he blurts out, and I'm going to quote exactly because I actually have tape of this, and I don't know who he is to you, boyfriend, friend, whatever the F he is to you, that shit's none of my business. Julie and I are both very queer. Her wife is my boss. My boyfriend is their dog sitter. It's as gay as you're going to get. And it's also not something that we're trying to hide. We look pretty gay. So this interjection out of nowhere, it caused me to immediately dissociate as he was screaming and wailing on. And I began to wonder why he said that. It was really curious to me. It was very random, totally had nothing to do with what was happening. And as I was coming back down to earth, pondering why he said this, it, it suddenly dawned on me, oh, this is a very lonely person. Oh, this is like the imaginary friends that I often summon in these abandoned spaces, only the difference here is that he's real. He's a caretaker at an abandoned sleepaway camp in the middle of nowhere, and he just wanted somebody to yell at. That part, I'm not sure why, but more so, it became painstakingly obvious that he just wanted someone to talk to, to be around. And at first, I didn't even go into that thinking because I just wanted to get away from him. So we got in the car, 
and he followed us and he followed us for a good three miles. And after those three miles, I thought to myself, nah, this isn't going to work for me. So the next gas station that we passed, I pulled off, he followed us. And the second I got out of my car, he walked right up to me and I was ready for an actual fight to be like, look, man, we got off. Thank you for not calling the cops, but the moment's over. Mm -hmm. And instead of receiving more of a tirade, he started to kind of apologize in a way. The first thing he said to me was, hey, you know why I had to talk to you like that, right? You understand, right? He didn't apologize directly, but in that moment, I suddenly realized, oh, this guy needs a friend. He had started to encourage us and give us locations to other abandoned properties in the area. And he was like, but remember what I said about trespassing? But it was very clear that he wanted some kind of companionship. Otherwise, he wouldn't have followed us that far. He wasn't going to a friend's house. And I learned something about grace that day. And it's one of the reasons that the word grace is actually tattooed on the back of my neck. And I should say, before we wrap this story up, we were lucky that day. We were lucky that he didn't have a weapon, that he didn't weaponize the cops the way that people often do when it comes to territory in this particular country. There is a level of privilege that goes with exploring abandoned spaces that should be noted, because I don't think it's something that people think about when they're talking about this hobby of urban exploration, as it's called. But what I learned about Grace in that moment was we don't know what's happening with people until we let them show us. Here's a guy who lives in the middle of nowhere, and he's lonely, and he's afraid, and he's confused about a lot of things, just, just like I am. Well, a fascinating story. I had read your story, but hearing you tell it with all the asides you came up with made it much more um, coherent, but much more fleshed out. So uh, good story. Thank you. So I, I have um, a caretaker story as well. I lived near a, the largest cemetery in Utica, New York, and I, my best friend was named Larry, and he and I had repeated run-ins with the caretaker of the cemetery, whose name was Mr. Clark. It was a 135-acre cemetery. And it was on the side of a long hill that went from the top of my street up to a quite a tall hilltop. And at the hilltop, it joined a nature preserve and a, there was a ski hill that came up there. Yeah, so they all came together at the top and nestled on the way up the um, long hill were, well, many, many sections of graves, including like Civil War graves. It was a very old cemetery. And, you know, as bad boys, we would run on top of those, jump from one to the next. And when they fell over, it was, you know, tough luck. So we were not courteous guests. And there were three very different kinds of ponds. And for kids, it was like, in, particularly in the summertime, but on weekends, it was a glorious place to spend time. Except there was, you know, Mr. Clark. The place itself had a old neo-Gothic arched when you let let into it, which was fabulous. Then they had a greenhouse with tropical vegetation where they held funerals. Uh, there was a waterfall in the greenhouse. Then it had a crematorium, which we were fascinated by. And then there were various mausoleums and graves that we usually visited on our on our trips. So anyway, the, 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 the thing about Mr. Clark was he seemed to spend most of his time cruising around the cemetery in his green Chrysler car looking for us. And it just it just never stopped. One of the things we did was in the wintertime, the public ski hill was open at night, and we could take the last run up the ski hill and then get off at the top and then ski down through the cemetery. 
which was, and we had old wooden skis, no metal edges. They had the rubber bindings. They were just completely treacherous. And skiing between stones, large gravestones, was very treacherous too. So one night, Larry, he clipped a gravestone, then ended up headlong, diving headlong into an ice pile and then knocked himself out. And then I had to decide, do I go? He was completely out. Do I go for help? But I instead took some snow and put it on his face. And then I slapped him a couple of times and he came out of it. That's when he retired from skiing. <laughs> so I, I, on another occasion, um, I had a girlfriend, Karen Soboleski. Karen was a real cutie. Um, she lived a couple of blocks from my house. And I coaxed her into one night. We took the ski hill toe up and we then skied leisurely down through the gravestones. And she had nice equipment. So, And I had kind of mastered the art of, of gravestone skiing by then. So we skied all the way to the bottom, and then we entered the greenhouse. In the greenhouse, we, we hid our skis behind some planters, and then we crawled underneath the waterfall, which was a very cozy little place, and we started to make out. And it was just wonderful smell of flowers and the, you know, the gurgling of the falls, and it was like perfection. And we sort of got lost in kissing, and all of a sudden, we hear a door, and there's Mr. Clark. And he's got a flashlight and he, he systematically searches the whole place, but doesn't look underneath the falls. And then he goes, I know you're in here. Come out. Come out now. A little bit like your guy. I think um, Karen was going to say something. And so I had to put my hand over Karen's mouth because I, I knew he wasn't going to find us. So I covered her mouth. He went around, yelled a few more times and then left. And then we waited for quite a while before we had the courage to leave. And that was my last date with Karen. <laughs> my last memory is on the, on the upper pond, which was much more wild pond, like a lake. There was, it was a little island and there were stony, the embankments were stony. And we caught lots of um, painted turtles there. And there was one giant snapping turtle that usually hung out on the island in the middle of the pond. And one day he was actually asleep on the edge of the pond with his face sort of in the water and his hind legs were out of the water. So we grabbed both his hind legs, pulled him backwards. So we pulled him out of the pond, and then he, he, he wrenched free. And then Larry sort of stuck the toe of his sneaker out to nudge him to keep him back. And he just clamped onto Larry's toe, full bite. And Larry was like, ah, you know, screaming and screaming. And he really held on. And we, he would not let go. So just then, as luck would have it, Mr. Clark comes by. He was very concerned, not angry with us, and very concerned for, for Larry's situation. So we loaded the turtle, Larry, in the back seat of his car. I sat in the front seat of his car, and he took us to the hospital and was a total gentleman about the whole expedition. So, so that's, my, uh, that's my caretaker stories. That was excellent. It was really a pleasure hearing your story and hearing kind of about much more about your life within the story. And I hope you enjoyed mine. Ah, thanks so much for having me, Greg. Nice to meet you. Okay, my pleasure. Arrivederci. Are you ready to tell your own story on The Compulsive Storyteller? We're launching a new segment of guest storytelling, and we want to hear your stories. Email a voice recording to hello at thecompulsivestoryteller.com. I'll play selected stories on upcoming episodes. Try to be as clear as possible in your recording, and we reserve the right to lightly edit them for length and clarity. Leave your name or contact information in your voicemail or email, and let us know if you'd like the story to be anonymous. I can't wait to hear from you.
The Compulsive Storyteller is now co-produced by Greg Lefebvre and Fadia Montserrat, who's also arranged the music and created the special effects. Emily Ramon does design, research, editing, and marketing. Peter Kakoma has made our theme music and for many seasons co-produced the show with me. If you enjoyed this week's episode, let us know. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Compulsive Storyteller, and we'd love to hear from you. This podcast is independently produced, so we really appreciate all your help and support. Share the show with your friends, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave a review. You can also check out our website, thecompulsivestoryteller.com, for more information. Thanks for listening, and if you didn't like this one, the next one will be another story. All characters and events portrayed in this podcast are based on my truth, with some names and facts changed for privacy. The conversations and dialogues are based on my best memory, but are not word-for-word recreations. Mm -hmm.